0: And we have a special guest in here this morning. We are going to be talking with the director of the Kessel Peace Institute here at Minnesota State University, Mankato. And he is a professor in the history department here at Minnesota State University. It is Dr. Jamil Huck. Good morning, Jamil. Good morning, Karen. Thank you for having me on. It's been a while since we've had you on, and... You are, of course, with the Peace Institute, and the conditions are worsening in Gaza, and so you've been hearing from other faculty members that they don't know enough about the situation to form an educated opinion. So you're gonna be holding a lecture tomorrow at 4 p.m. at the Trafton Center, room uh, 124. I think that's a big hall, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of people can come, and you're gonna, you want anybody to come who wants to know more about this, and I'm um, just going to read from your your note here it says while doing your PhD at the City University of New York you were fortunate to be able to take classes at New York University in Columbia concerning Palestine and you also write and research about the way Palestine is portrayed in world history textbooks and you have a degree in modern Middle Eastern history you are the director of the Kessel Peace Institute and you are committed to silently protesting on campus this week from 1230 to 1:30 daily And anyone is free to join you, they'll be in front of the Centennial Student Union or by the dining hall. So with that, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand what's going on. So I'm glad to have you on the show. Let's talk a little bit why you decided the need to have this session for tomorrow that I assume the public is welcome to.
1: Absolutely. All right. Everybody's welcome. I will say, though, as somebody who does not spend a lot of time in Trafton Center, that it seems like a maze to me. (laughs) So if you are coming to the event, please come down early. I'm gonna give myself like a half an hour to find the room because I've never been in that room before.
0: It is a maze kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean all the buildings are, but Trafton especially. So give yourself some extra time and come on down. We're gonna, I'm gonna try to keep myself brief. This is a challenge for historians. As you know, we like to talk. So if you're like, well, what happened yesterday? historians will generally say, well, let me tell you about what happened 400 years ago. (laughs)
0: Well, right, because history, I mean, history goes on forever. So in a nutshell, what have you been hearing from colleagues and the concerns? And give us a quick background, if that's even possible to do in a a nutshell to help us understand, because I think a lot of people are with, like me, are curious to help us understand it
1: sure yeah I've heard from a lot of fellow faculty members Mm -hmm. uh, from students from people in the community that they really don't know a lot about uh, what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now and they're interested to learn and I actually not to uh, uh, sound uh, hubristic but I am probably the most qualified academically in Southern Minnesota to talk about this because of my modern Middle East degree and also studying uh, Palestine with Professor Zachary Lachman at NYU, who is a a legend in the field. Zach, if you're listening, which is incredibly (laughs) improbable, being that you're in New York right now, uh, thank you for your class back uh, uh, 15 years ago. Um, What's going on in uh, Israel and Palestine is a complicated situation. Right. But... The simplistic nature of it is that number one, both sides are human beings. I think this is something that we have difficulty when we talk about history, empathizing with both sides and particularly empathizing with Palestinian people who are human beings. We know that Major League Soccer, Major uh, Major League Baseball, the NBA and the NFL, uh, Starbucks and several American corporations, the United States Congress have all issued Uh, statements of support for Israel and the people of Israel, but people have been reluctant to acknowledge that the people of Palestine are suffering too. So there were some horrific attacks by Hamas on October 7th. And in response to that, uh, there has been a prolonged siege on Gaza and many people have died. And it's very much a fluid situation. And what
0: prompted this on October seventh? I mean, I guess seemingly things were kind of just going along at per normal, whatever that is to be described as.
1: Yeah, I. I so I have, <laughs> I have a two hour lecture that I give in my classes. All right, we don't have that much this. time,
0: but. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm
1: gonna keep myself to a half an hour at the actual okay. event. But in a, in a nutshell, this this problem's presented as an intractable problem that's driven by religion, and what. The message that I want to deliver to my audience is that this is not an ancient problem. This is a modern problem. It has its root, real roots in 1948, uh, and it is solvable. It's a nationalistic problem. Two people, two nations claim the same territory, and they are willing to fight over it, and the international community is willing to stand back and watch them fight. My main hope is that at some point the United States will... Honestly, I have faith in the United States. Call me uh, a pie-eyed optimist, but I think that the United States is j- the right person, the right people, the right power to solve the situation. So we're hoping that the United States will say, look, uh, w- this back and forth is just uh, unsustainable. It just kills people. War is always wrong. Violence is always wrong. And we are here not to support overwhelmingly one side, but to come up with a fair and equitable solution. Um, and I think that's possible I think we were actually really close in 1993 post Oslo Accords um, and that got derailed but humans are humans want peace peace is the natural state of being and and war is not so uh, you know there's been an ongoing conflict between uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and Israel Israel controls everything that goes in and out of Gaza and has these this has happened actually four times in the last 15 years or so so it's not anything that hasn't happened before just the scale of it seems much bigger this time
0: what was 1948 you said that was kind of the when it started
1: yeah 1948 is really the the, the start of the the birth of the state of Israel and then you have a Jordan occupied the West Bank which is where uh, about 2 million Pal- 2.7 million Palestinians live today and Egypt occupied the Gaza Strip in 1948 so even from the very beginning uh, the Palestinians were under occupation whether it was from uh, this in the, this instance between 1948 and 1967 from their neighboring um, Arab countries and in 1967 then Israel occupied those territories the West Bank meaning the West Bank of the River Jordan so This is where Jerusalem is. This is where Bethlehem is. This uh, borders Jordan and then the Gaza Strip, which is bordered by the Mediterranean Sea and by the state of Egypt. And since then, there have been negotiations that have gone on repeatedly, but nothing has really stuck. And this is what the Kessel Peace Institute hopes to... If we can get Mankato to start um, supporting an equitable solution to this problem... You know, we're just a we're a small town with a big heart in the middle of the prairie here, Karen. And I think that this is uh, an opportunity that we have to actually be like, hey, we don't have the entrenched um, um, anger that a lot of people have in the U.S. about this. We're willing to talk about how we can make this a uh, um, end this problem.
0: Where does the entrenched anger come from, though? I mean...
1: Well, is it entitlement?
0: or I mean, I, I don't quite understand, and I, commit, I admit I'm naive.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it is personal. Uh, when I taught in New York City, I frequently had both students from Palestine and Israel, mm-hmm. and for them it was obviously very difficult to talk about this dispassionately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of it. U.S. foreign policy has, you know, we, we have certain nation states, um, Israel, Saudi Arabia... That we really heavily favor and it's good or it's bad I'm not a political scientist I can't tell you about uh, foreign policy but there are very strong feelings and um, so we weren't you know I'm not Palestinian I'm not Israeli I wasn't raised uh, with particularly strong viewpoints on this situation and then I studied it academically and I think that that's really you know not to not to sound uh uh, 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 to uh, full of myself or full of education, but really education is 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 the key to understanding a lot of problems. And when we really learn the historic roots of this problem, we're like, yeah, this is not an ancient problem. Jews and Muslims are not uh, um, historically opposed to each other. This is a very modern problem, and a very modern problem can be solved. So,
0: what triggered it then? I mean, what modern modern day? thing that triggered it? Because I mean, I think we do think maybe it's more ancient or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can have a theological perspective on it and say that it's an ancient conflict. But as a historical um, viewpoint, you know, do you see this as really starting in the late 1800s with immigration from Europe to Palestine and really accelerating, though, with the rise of Nazi Germany and the rise of uh, Stalin. Both of, wh- both of whom had horrific policies towards their Jewish population. We already know that. But that sped up immigration to uh, what was then a British colony, Palestine. Okay. And I don't mean I don't want to give everybody the whole presentation here. Uh, <laughs> well, but help us understand. <laughs> so, you know, within the last, uh, since Oslo, though, so Oslo Peace Accords are 1993. Uh, Bill Clinton and uh, several negotiators had seemingly come up with a solution. The solution was a two-state solution. Palestinians would have a country in Gaza and the West Bank, and the Israelis would have certain security uh, guarantees, which is, you know, those are the two main things each people want. The Palestinians want a state, the Israelis want security. And that got derailed when the Israeli prime minister was assassinated, and it just has not... Uh, there's been no meaningful uh, dialogue or movement on that since so since uh, 2007 Israel has uh, Israel is still in occupation in the West Bank so their military has been in occupation of the West Bank since 1967 and they are um, basically control everything that goes in and out of Gaza including people so people are not just really free to leave Gaza.
0: And right now the situation is I mean that they've destroyed just you look at the, the TV pictures and things and I mean it's just devastation the buildings and all the people that whose lives have been lost and I mean to me it seems so senseless and yeah I want to say you know it's easy to say can't we just all get along and I don't see the point.
1: Well you know on October 7th uh, Hamas led an attack on Israel that was horrific and Israel was very angry about it now Hamas is Hamas is a terrorist organization that has been in control of the Gaza Strip for gosh about uh, not 20 years 15 years Uh, they are uh, they sort of broke Israel has a wall that surrounds Gaza they broke through the wall Mm. and then attacked uh, civilians and then in retribution uh, Israel has essentially attacked all the Palestinians as well so you know the 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 anger of both people is understandable but there is a a there's no solution to this problem other than to fix it this will keep happening over and over again if we continue this cycle of violence and you know at this point the united states has a lot of ability to sway the situation and i think the united states needs to stand up and say look this has to be solved. We can't keep doing this every five years. I
0: mean, people are going to say, "Is it just throw money at it?" I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that that you know people just want to keep saying, "Well, we got our own problems here at home." We don't want to just keep throwing money
1: at things. Yeah, I think I think the real issue is that people need to hear what each side wants, right? And I don't think Americans understand that in 1948, uh, 700,000 Palestinians were made refugees. Mm-hmm. None of them have returned. So then, zero of them have been allowed to return. That's 5 million people now, right? So one of the things Palestinians want that Americans don't know is this right to return or some sort of acknowledgement even that that they've lost all this. They've lost their homes. They've lost their heritage. Uh, The Israelis, it's very clear that they want national security. And, um, you know, how do you get both sides to acknowledge that? I think the United States has the ability to do that.
0: I mean I feel like with with Native Americans and things you know that were displaced and you know now that're trying to seek retribution and trying to reconcile that those things i mean I, is that even comparable or is that
1: um I think there's a lot to be said about reconciliation movements in the United States and what's happening. what could happen over there yeah i i, I I'm not as familiar with. Uh, what's going on, particularly in terms of uh, indigenous peoples here in America, as I am, in terms of what's happening in Palestine. But I think that you can uh, think about it in similar ways. Absolutely.
0: So when you do this presentation, what are you hoping that people will learn? I mean, I assume you'll be allowing people to ask questions. And and are you concerned that there's going to be some really strong feelings about on either side? Because, you know, we've heard about protests and things and just wondering what your thoughts are
1: yeah i i really want to give them the historical background which goes a little deeper than what i've said here for for about a half an hour my guess is and again i will i will censor myself because i not censor myself i'll limit myself because i could talk about it all day right because you're Uh, a historian (laughs) yeah this is what historians do yeah um but I really hope that people start to really think about it. I and, and what we're doing on campus isn't really protesting, we're trying to raise awareness. Okay. Because what's happening is that, you know, we're we're so remote from this, right?
0: Well, right, and that's why when you said you were going to have this talk about it, I thought, well, we are so remote that we don't know a lot about it, and we only see and hear the things we see in the news. And let me ask you this, do you feel it's being portrayed accurately in the news? Because, you know, there's all these different types of media, some lean left, some lean right, you know, and there's all that argument about, are we hearing what's the truth? Are we seeing what's the truth? Because it is a filter.
1: I think that if anything, the uh, uh, last six years have taught us that the media is so messed up right now that it is really hard to make an accurate statement on that i mean uh the the kinds of things the kinds of ideas that some of the media promote these days it it, it it's so it it's bordering on religious belief so i think that the media is trying to be very cautious and i think that um I don't think that I mean it's obviously, right? If you're if you're a journalist, you can go into Israel right now and you can talk to Israelis, you can walk around in Israel. You cannot go into Palestine, right? You, there's no way a western journalist could or an american journalist could get into Palestine right now. And we've seen definitely some videos on places like TikTok that are are definitely either anachronistic, meaning that they're actually not from this conflict.
0: Oh, really? Or, yes,
1: or that they're just kind of fake. So it's essentially what my hope is, is just to portray this idea that, hey, you know, we've already, our government has acknowledged that Israelis are human beings. Let's also acknowledge that Palestinians are human beings. And I think that that's kind of even a radical statement, even though it, it, it sounds like such a simple statement. Palestinians are also human beings.
0: When I was trained in journalism, which, you know, I'm older, so it's been back in the 80s, one of the things was, you know, try to be non-biased, try to get both sides of the story. And I feel like that has changed so much through the years. I see the kids coming through college now, and it seems like it's more about what's your opinion on this, let's hear your opinion, and it's more about me, I, what I think, versus getting both sides of the story and that's been really frustrating for me oh, sure. in terms of working with students and saying well what about this side and so that's why i feel like i don't know that we're getting both sides sometimes and so that's why i you know i question and like you mentioned the tiktok things how do you know what's real anymore
1: i don't even know karen you don't i don't know what the, i don't know what the kids are up to yeah. uh, <laughs> right. you know it's it's it it's a good question and it's a really hard problem and You know, this is sort of like uh, uh, if I were to relate it to something, I'd relate it to climate change, that we are given the responsibility as consumers to affect some sort of change that is entirely out of our control. This is in the control of the corporations that put on the news, and just the same way that most, almost all the pollution in the world is within the control of the corporations in the world. So there's very little we can do as consumers. Um, so this is why I'm, you know, I'm academically trained. I've studied this. I have factual information to present. I am going to. Obviously, we learn in as human beings, that everybody has some sort of subjectivity to their own views. Right. But I'm not here to say, like, this one side is bad and this one side is good. I'm here to tell you that everybody is a human being, and war is the single worst thing that can happen.
0: I agree. I mean, my my son, he's in the, is it Gen Z? He's 16. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, he, he's all about why can't people just, why, why are we fighting about these things? Why can't people be you know, more equal. Why do some people have to have all this and these people don't have anything? And, you know, he's yeah. he's just this young kid who's, who's I can s- listen to him talk through things and, and say, you know, you, you are right. You're, you're not wrong. But it's the matter of how do you get to that place where everybody agrees that why can't we be more um, equal and mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I I and I admire your your son, and the real the the problem is that that this Gen Z and really uh, a lot of us have inherited a world where a disproportionate power, a disproportionate percentage of power, is within the hands of rich corporations.
0: And that really makes him mad. It, you it know, should as a sixteen year old, you know, it's really it's really um, eye opening to me to see how passionate mm-hmm. that he's become. And and it was through taking, I think it was at the AP. Was it geography maybe a class that, that mm-hmm. he just just kind of got all fired up about it?
1: Yeah. It's, he, he should be questioning that because we're at a historic time in our country in particular where so much wealth is contraha- concentrated in so few hands. So if you're part of the middle class or the working class, in the last 30 years, you're not doing particularly well. But if you're rich, you're having the best time. You can have a yacht on top of your yacht. <laughs>
0: Okay. And you, you you admit you're not a political science. So, I mean, that's, right. you know, you're a historian. But but historically, w- what does something like this lead to? I mean, if you look back in history and we say, let's not repeat history, but sometimes right. we, I feel like we do.
1: Right. Uh, you know, the the implications of this in the real world right now are we're seeing a rise in both um, Islamophobia and anti-Muslim attacks and graffiti, even here in our local area. And nationwide, we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism as well. Those are really real um, repercussions of this uh, and never-ending conflict, or this seemingly protra- or this protracted conflict, that are fixable, right? um and we also see that these kinds of conflicts can escalate uh not to always bring things back to world war one uh but it was competing nationalisms that led to the assassination of the archduke franz ferdinand and triggered world war one you know there is a possibility that this becomes a much wider conflict if uh it just allow it's just allowed to continue indefinitely
0: and the Peace Institute, like you said, you're about, we are all human.
1: We are all human.
0: And I don't know, y- y- you go out and you educate. That's that you think That's is, that goal. That is the key is to educate.
1: That's the goal. I mean, I think that right now um, the situation is that there's a humanitarian crisis in Gaza and that we need to be aware of that. Um, but how
0: can you get through that? That's the thing that bugs me, too, is like these people are not without food. They're without water and all these things, but you can't help because it's there's these these things that don't allow you to do that.
1: Right, we can't help right now actually, and it's not, you know, Israel has cut off supplies to the Palestinians and Egypt has cut off supplies to the Palestinians. Um in Gaza. And this is why I think we need to start having a frank and open discussion about this. It's really hard for us as Americans to talk about a lot of things, talk about abortion, talk about gun control. And sometimes you have like one person in the room who just says, I refuse to talk about this and we're done. And everybody goes silent because they don't they don't uh, want to confrontation. So that's not good for civil society. That's not good for America if we don't talk about it.
0: When you talk to folks tomorrow at this, are you going to offer some sort of solution? Is there, I mean, is there something you can say? Because, you know, I do the, the uh, every week I do a show called Every Day is Earth Day, and we talk about some solutions, you know, and we can't fix it all by ourselves, but maybe there's little things people can do. Is that something you can maybe... Offer because sometimes he's like, Well, this is a problem, but well, what can I do about it?
1: Well, I, I think that regardless of what side you quote unquote come from, right? I don't think there needs to be sides, right? We should be right. on the side of human beings. Yes. The real solution is entirely out of your hands. Like, there is no uh, Norwegian bachelor farmer that is going to go over <laughs> and solve right. uh, the situation. However, we do elect individuals to our um government that represent us, and if those individuals understand that we want a solution to this problem, then they are they will start to think, well, uh, if they don't get a solution, maybe they're not going to vote for us, and this is what they he- are hearing us say, so that's going to be what I'm going to push people to do is you know either side you're clearly at this point want a solution right so
0: what should you say to your congressman or whoever?
1: Um, I, I, You can contact me. We'll set you up with uh, uh, form letters, or you can oh. just say, listen, my name is... You ready? Guys, get a pencil. Write this down. <laughs> my name is so-and-so. Or dear so-and-so. It's a dear Tina Smith, comma. My name is uh, Jan Jurgensen, and I want there to be a fair and equitable solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, period. I am not a... Uh, and diplomat, so I do not understand what that is, but I would like to see the United States press for a diplomatic solution to this problem, period. Best yawn.
0: So simple as that. Simple as that. Wow. Okay. Well, we want to make, let people know again that the public is welcome, that uh, Dr. Jamil Huck will be doing a presentation, a special presentation on Thursday, which is tomorrow at 4 p.m. in the Trafton Center Room 124. Yep. And um, It's free. It's open to the public. And you're a historian and this is your area of expertise. And so, you know, I'm sure people can ask questions. And if you don't know, you'll probably be able to look it up or get back to them. um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you are also with the Kessel Peace Institute, whose mission is
1: to promote peace and social justice in Mankato and beyond.
0: So it makes sense that this is uh, one Absolutely. thing you're doing. Because you've been gone for a while. Hadn't you been away? I was
1: in sunny Santa Barbara for the last year. You and mean, were you on a I sabbatical? I was on sabbatical.
0: What, what were you studying or doing? I wrote,
1: I wrote a book about uh, the United States and the Middle East during World War One. Oh, you did? Okay. And I was a visiting scholar in New Zealand for a month. And I walked on the beach and picked up many uh, wonderful specimens of quartz, uh, carnelian, uh, citrine, Uh, And swam in the ocean. I swam every day, Karen. It was amazing. Good for you. It's good to be back in Mankato, though.
0: Yeah, in the winter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. When you go on a sabbatical like that, does anything, you know, you're away from kind of your everyday duties. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that came to you that you brought back with you that you're going to apply here in terms of... um, Ideas that might be useful for the Peace Institute or even your history? Yeah, I
1: actually, when I went to New Zealand, I went to the National Center for Peace and Conflict Studies in Dunedin, which is way down on the South Island. And I talked to them about, you know, generally what they do for events and also their curriculum. You could do a peace studies curriculum. Um, Right now, uh, I also, you know, spent... um, two weeks in the archives in New Zealand thinking about well oh. what are some of the historical roots of the Christchurch massacre that happened a few years ago where a gunman went into a mosque and shot uh, Muslims so i d- delved into their archives to see what their policies have been historically and i'm okay. you know the, the way things work out the the book that i wrote was based on research i did about 6 years ago so in about 6 years i'll, <laughs> I'll be ready to write that book okay. um but it's amazing what you can accomplish as a scholar when you don't have to go to meetings. So if anybody for the administration is listening, <laughs> um, we can be super productive without all those
0: without meetings. Without all those meetings. What is the title of your book?
1: It is Alone in Baghdad: The uh, Charles Bristol and the United States During World War One.
0: Would you describe it as more of a textbook for academics, or would you describe it more as something that more of a popular read book? Because you know some books are more academic. Yeah.
1: It's it's somewhere in between. It's okay. it's a it's definitely an anti-war book. Um, it talks about Charles Bristol, who was a native of Brooklyn, New York, who arrived in Baghdad in 1914, just for the start of World War One, and he was there until his death on October on Halloween Day in 1916. And he really advocated for humanitarian causes uh, for stranded foreign nationals, British Indians, uh, people from Italy that were stuck for dur- during the war, and. You know, it it's an instructive book about what one man can do when uh and with limited resources and pretty much all alone.
0: Okay. Sounds very interesting. It's going to I
1: hopefully I think I think it's going to be a page turner, but I don't know. I'll, I'll get you a copy Karen. You should, you, can, and,
0: you know, cuz what I like to do is before I interview someone about a book cause I like to read it first. Yeah. And that always helps me out. We've been talking with Dr. Jamil Hook, who is the director of the Kessel Peace Institute and a history professor here at Minnesota State University. And again, the public is invited to his talk about the conditions worsening in Gaza and just knowing more about the situation to form your own educated opinion. It will be tomorrow, 4 p.m. in the Trafton Center, room 124. I assume That's they have right. to par- park in the uh, sunken lot. I know it costs something, but...
1: Yeah, ah. Because
0: otherwise in campus you don't want to get a ticket. Gosh,
1: you you know, it's- It's it's tough. Administration, if you can hear this too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we work here. Why do we have to pay to park here? Well, um, you know,
0: there's always that upkeep.
1: Yeah, I, I, never th- I never think about parking. That's why if it was at 6 o'clock, I think, no, 6.30 is Yeah, Yeah, then it's free parking. But
0: so, so you might have to, it might be an issue. Yeah. So if you're coming with others, you might want to carpool and you yeah. can win that sunken lot. And it does cost something. I don't know what. Cause
1: it's I, $4 the first hour, $2 yeah. every additional hour. So,
0: I mean, otherwise it's free except for parking or if you want to ride your bike. There you go.
1: Take your chances too, and maybe uh, the the people won't ticket you. <laughs> and if don't they ticket do, these people, guys. Don't me, ticket tonight.
0: If they ticket you, you gotta you gotta pay it though. Because I a, know you know how that is. So. I know.
1: I've gotten multiple parking yeah. tickets on campus. <laughs> Shame. <I don't> know. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your willingness to uh, step out and offer something like this to help folks like myself who don't really understand everything and need to, to his, like the historical perspective is really yeah. important. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, there we go. If you have questions that I, you know we didn't get answered here, he's gonna have a, a longer, more detailed presentation tomorrow, 4 p.m., Trafton Center, Room 124. If you have any questions, can, uh, let's see, is there is there a website or anything we can go to to find out uh, details?
1: Uh, it should be up on the Kessel Peace website okay. or on the Kessel Peace Institute Facebook page. Sounds good, yeah. thanks.